Now, if you'll grab your Bibles and open them to the book of Jonah, I'll read to you, um, oh, seven verses from Jonah chapter three. You follow as I read from a book that's inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired. There's not error in it, there's no contradiction in it. It's a book um, penned by men, but authored, inspired by God the Holy Spirit himself. And it reads like this, beginning at verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, little did I know that on uh, June the 24th, when I set this series on Jonah aside, that it would be almost three months before I would return to it to finish it up. But here we are to finish up the, uh, the series on Jonah. We've got three more sermons Um, you may recall that the last time that we were in Jonah, I addressed verse 10 about this, uh, this issue of God relenting. It was on, it was in late June. I think it's the 24th of June. So if you're interested to go back and know what that's all about, verse 10, you can go back and pick that up online. Um, June the 24th about, remember I called it a theodicy and tried to explain what that was. But now we, uh, we proceed to finish up the book. Guys, the book of Jonah is, um, is just uh, full of little items that tickle the fancy. Uh, people wonder, I mean, did a man really get swallowed by a whale? I mean, how big was that whale and what happened to the man's skin and all that business? Even in chapter 4 when we get there, you'll, you'll see this uh, worm that eats up this plant and, and the shade goes with it and people want to know about the worm and the plant and all that business. Should we consider those miracles? Well, I think you should. However, the miracle in the book of Jonah, in my mind, is what happened in and to Nineveh. Her repentance and the subsequent conversion of an entire city-state, an unparalleled event in history where a city from the top down from the king all the way down, enters into a, a relationship with God. Now, gang, I, I make no claim to know um, what prompted the Holy Spirit to have this book written and then included in this book. But maybe, 
Maybe, maybe the whole motive behind this book is to emphasize repentance. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is what Jonah preached, and that is what Nineveh did. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of leave the narrative, at least in a sort of way. We're going to leave the narrative, and we're going to fix our attention for two weeks on the subject of repentance. Not penance. Repentance. We'll spend a couple of weeks discussing and defining that. But why? Why, Dr. Young, are you so interested in that subject? Let me explain. You might uh, be able to find this. And, uh, it's in Luke chapter 13. But let me give you three reasons why I think we need to spend some time. First of all, in Luke chapter 13, there's a little incident in the life of Jesus Christ where um, I'll read you a portion of it. It says, uh, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the Galileans because they suffered this fate? I mean, their blood got mingled with the sacrifices of Pilate and, 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 and you conclude that they must have been worse sinners because they suffered this fate? Here's Jesus' reply. No, I tell you. Listen, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There's another little, right after that uh, sentence, there's another little story that he alludes to. Over in the city of Siloam, there was a tower that fell on some people. And uh, he says the same thing. Do you think that they were worse sinners because the tower fell on them and killed them? King James says, I tell ye nay. <laughs> no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Here's the point. The only alternative to perishing is repentance. The only alternative to perishing where did you get that jimmy straight from the mouth of jesus christ i tell ye nay but unless ye repent you shall all likewise perish so that makes it pretty important would you not agree but it even becomes more important when you realize that there is a counterfeit did you realize that there is a thing that the world calls repentance that is not repentance. It's mentioned for you in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There's a thing that may resemble repentance, but it's not repentance. Whereas repentance produces life without regret, worldly grief produces death. Jesus says, um, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And by the way, I need to point this out. There is a counterfeit out there that might look like this, but it isn't. And thus, I would suggest to you, we need to spend some time defining it. 
When's the last time you heard a sermon on repentance? Even from this pulpit. So, that's, um, that's why I'm leaving the narrative and spending a couple of weeks on repentance. Now, let's start here. Guys, there are a couple of uh, events in the book of Acts. The book of Acts. One occurs in Acts chapter 2. The other occurs in Acts chapter 16. There are two events that are similar, at least in one, one aspect. Let me tell you about this, the, the story in Acts 2. This is right after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Peter stands up before this large crowd of gathered worshipers in Jerusalem. And uh, he preaches his first post-Pentecost sermon. And in the middle of his sermon, he gets interrupted. Um, That's never happened to me. But um, um, in the middle of his sermon, he gets interrupted and the people cry out to him, Oh my goodness, what shall we do then? And you remember what Peter said. It's in Acts 2.38. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Now, there's another event in chapter 16 that's similar to that one. It's in Philippi. Paul and Silas are in a prison. There's an earthquake. Shakes all the prison doors open. The jailer sees that. He's about to kill himself. And Paul cries out, hey, don't kill yourself. Don't do that. We're all here. So the jailer runs into the cell where Paul is, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul replies, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's Acts 16, 31. So in Acts 2, people come and say, uh, what must I do to be saved? Peter says, repent. Over in Acts 16, same question. Not a crowd, but just one person. What must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe. So which is it? Which am I supposed to do? Repent or believe? And many of you know the answer to that question. You do both. Because you see, repentance and faith are the opposite sides of the same coin. On the American $1 bill, there is a picture of George Washington on the front and a picture of a pyramid with an eye at the top of the pyramid on the back. If you've got a genuine $1 bill and you see George Washington on the front, you will know that the pyramid with the strange eye is on the back. Or if you see the strange pyramid with the eye at the top on the back, you will know that George Washington is on the front. Why? Because they're the opposite sides of the same bill. Repentance and faith are the opposite sides of the same coin. They go together. Now, let me make the same point, but make it just a bit differently. What would you call someone who is not believing in Jesus? Maybe some of you. What would you call someone not believing in Jesus? Well, you would call them a non-Christian. Well, what would you call someone who is not repenting? You would call them the same thing. Because you see, repentance and faith go together. If you're not doing both, then something is sadly amiss. Guys, I'm, I'm, really, I'm merely trying to show you the urgency of this topic, repentance. Um, 
Let me do it two quick more ways. Two more quick ways. <laughs> um, guys, did you know that there are four Great Commission texts in the New Testament? Did you get that? Four. You know, you know the one in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, so therefore, you know about that one. That's Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. But do you know there are three others? There's one in the book of Acts, Acts 1 8. There's one in the book of John, John 20, verse 21. But there's also one in the Gospel of Luke. Did you realize that? It's in Luke chapter 24. It's after Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected and he's now about to ascend to his Father. And he says this Jesus is speaking, and he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. And that, listen, Repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Guys, repentance is the essence of the evangelistic method, a message. We're supposed to tell the, the, the world to repent. We're supposed to carry a message to every nook and cranny of this globe. And the message has at its center... A call upon men to repent. One more thing. Luke 15, uh, in which you find the parable of the prodigal son. We all love the parable of the prodigal son. It's a great parable. I, don't, I love it too. But you did know that there are two brief parables right above it in the same chapter. Did you not? The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep. Those are the two that introduce the parable of the lost son, which is the parable of the prodigal son. But there is a line in both of these smaller parables that, are, that is identical. Here's the line. There is more rejoicing in heaven over the repentance, over one sinner who repents. Heaven breaks out into rejoicing when sinners repent. Okay, Dr. Young, um, point made, urgency granted. So now tell me what it is. What is repentance? Well, first of all, folks, it's not a human, it's not a work of human nature. You can't gin it up. You can't grind your teeth and clench your fist and say, I'm going to do this. Repentance is the work of God the Holy Spirit in regeneration in which he grants a conviction to turn away from sin and unto Christ. Did you get it? Repentance is a work of God the Holy Spirit in regeneration in which you find this being characteristic of that work there becomes a deep abiding conviction in me to turn from my sin and unto christ put it like this it is a spiritual u-turn authored by god the holy spirit and the holy spirit normally uses his word to produce that like you see taking place in Nineveh. Um, 
Jonah goes through the city streets of Nineveh and he preaches a sermon. There are five recorded Hebrew words to the sermon. I I bet it was longer than that. But the text only gives us five Hebrew words. And God the Holy Spirit uses those five Hebrew words that Jonah preached. And God then authors repentance from the top down in an entire city-state. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to avoid repentance at all costs, then stay away from this book. Stop reading it, stop listening to it, stop being exposed to it, because that is exactly what the world has done. They're doing all that they can to undermine and discredit the the information that is found in this book. Because if this is true, then I'm going to have to leave my sin behind. So let's not read this book. Add this. Once converted by God the Holy Spirit, He then turns that saving principle of repentance into a habit of Christian living. Guys, I've told you this many times before, but when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the church door at Wittenberg, Germany on October the 31st of 1517, when he nailed those 95 propositions over which he longed for a discussion with Rome... 95 of them, the first one, number one, the first one on the list of 95, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but what he said is, repentance is to be a way of life for the Christian. Guys, if I were to stop believing, it would simply mean I never believed savingly in the first place. Now, if I stop repenting, That means one of two things. It could mean I've stopped sinning. Fat chance. Or two, it could mean that you no longer care about your sin, which proves that you never repented in the first place. To stop repenting is to stop believing. Because... Guys, repentance grows as we know more about Jesus Christ. The more I see of what he did, the sufferings that he endured, the more I I, I understand his finished work, the more I see my sin. You see, repentance fundamentally changes the way I view sin. David, in Psalm 51, says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Do you know when he wrote that? You know when David wrote that sentence? He wrote it right after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered on the field of battle. And he has the audacity to say, Against thee and thee only have I sinned? Well, what about Bathsheba? 
What about her husband? But David understood that before I could ever invite Bathsheba to my bedroom, I had to take the law of God that says thou shalt not commit adultery. And I had to trample it beneath my feet before I could ever have Uriah the Hittite murdered. I had to take the commandment that says thou shalt do no murder and trample it because my sin started against you. Repentance does that, ladies and gentlemen. Repentance fundamentally changes my view of sin. Repentance is no superficial emotion when I say, oh, I'm sorry. The true fountain of saving repentance is the apprehension of of the mercy of God in Christ. The fact that God is willing to forgive such a one as I produces a repentance that is deep and spiritual and it lasts for a lifetime. One other thing. The New Testament defines repentance as a gift. Acts 11 2 Timothy 2. Now, back to the story of Jonah. You know, um, the king, who is a pagan at this moment, um, he gives voice to some pretty sound theology. He seems to understand that last point I just made about repentance being a gift. Did you see it? He says in verse 9, who knows God may turn and relent. Do Do you see that? You see, the possibility of not being forgiven implies that he is aware that he doesn't deserve the forgiveness. He seems to understand that the, that the gift of repentance is dependent on God's sovereign good pleasure. Forgiveness is God's gift to people. It's His gift to give. And I have no rightful claim over it. But the king, he has a bit of hope. Where did it come from? The text doesn't say, let me suggest. He thinks, well, why did God send a prophet to us? He didn't send a prophet to Sodom and Gomorrah. And why did he give us a 40-day notice? Do Do I hear the faint sound of compassion? Ladies and gentlemen, the threat of doom is never the last word. As long as there's oxygen breathing in and out of my nostrils. 
Now, you may not have heard a word I've said thus far. Fine. But I hope you'll listen now. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege to stand before you to preach this. It is my privilege to tell you about repentance. Why? Why is that a privilege? Because, ladies and gentlemen, Repentance is the thing that tells me how I can get back to God before whom I have sinned egregiously. No person has ever sat in my office to confess their sin. There is no sin that I have ever committed personally nor you have committed personally that is beyond the reach of this God when repentance is present. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what addiction you brought into this room. There is no sin that is beyond the reach of this God when repentance is present. Repentance is a concept that is full of hope because it points me to the door through which I might walk back to God. And I love to tell people about that. You know, I've said this to you before. The Apostle Paul was, of course, a theologian without without a rival. But he was also an unbelievable pastor. And he writes to this same Corinthian church, the one that he had warned about the counterfeit repentance. He writes to that same church and he says this. This is, this is a note of, of, of personal communication between a pastor and the people. He says this. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though it did, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Do you see what he says, ladies and gentlemen? In the course of our relationship, I wrote you a letter. It got back to me that it really caused some grief among you, and I'm sorry about that. I don't write letters so that I can grieve you. 
I don't enjoy grieving you. But as it is, I now rejoice, says Paul. I rejoice because the grief that you went through led you to repentance. I don't preach sermons so that you can grieve. I preach sermons that you'll grieve enough to repent. Ladies and gentlemen, you take this to your grave. The one who loves you the most is the one who will tell you the most truth about yourself. And it is Jesus Christ who said, and I quote, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Ladies and gentlemen, the call of repentance is the call of the gospel. And who knows? You may only have 40 more days. Our Father, would you uh, use your word by the power and administration of the Holy Spirit to cause men and women to see that sin is our enemy Obedience is our friend, and Jesus Christ is the one who paid for our sin and has reconciled us, us, us to you. Father, might repentance become a sweet sound in our ears. Would you, um, would you change the way that we view that which offends you? And would you empower us to live more obediently father if you brought people into this room this morning who have not yet embraced this savior would you show them the urgency that unless they repent they will all likewise perish do that for the glory of christ and we pray of course in his name